If you would please turn in your Bible to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's uh, begin reading in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. <clears throat> in this you greatly rejoice, even though, for, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith is more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. You greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, this is such a a wonderful passage. I pray that I'd be able to do it justice today. That we would understand. We just want clarity. We want understanding here, Lord. So So that we can implement it into our lives. Implement it into our thinking. And then implement it into our lives. Um, so that it can be evidence, it can, can be seen, applied. Lord, we are not here to just get more information, but for this information to change us, to change the way we think, to change the way we live our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we are, have been looking at uh, aspects of salvation. And this is another aspect of salvation in this passage. We've been looking at the the doctrines of grace. God's sovereignty in salvation. And frankly, the more I study this subject, I am... It has shown me that we, frankly, have a a shallow view of our salvation. We we have such a, a... a small-minded, a small understanding of what God has done for us as far as our salvation. And it's amazing the way we think sometimes. I mean, we, we, we just pray a prayer and we go to heaven. But there's so much more to our salvation than that. There's a multifaceted grace, if you would, of justification, sanctification, glorification calling, faith, than, than what we understand. This, and this is a... Today we'll talk about faith. And that's just one element. And this is an active faith, a, a faith that works, a faith that endures to the end. It endures trials. But we have a rich salvation. And we need to understand that. We need to to have that settle into our mind and into our thinking. 
that God has demonstrated His love for us in such a profound way. And it's not a shallow thing. And we need to understand it. Now, we've looked at uh, the doctrine of the depravity of man, that man is sinful. He is so sinful that Christ said he is enslaved to his sin. So sinful that he could do nothing about his spiritual condition until God intervenes, until God calls him. And we see that God has a certain has, a, has chosen for Himself a, a certain people to Himself for His own possession. And at just the right time, He sent Christ to die for that people, to, uh, to redeem that people to Himself. And then in real time, when those people are living during that history of their life, He calls them. He draws them to Himself. And that's such a wonderful thing to know. But the real question, when it comes down to it, is this salvation guaranteed? Because if it's not guaranteed, if it's not, uh, if it's not something that we can rely on, if it's not secured, then everything else unravels. Then it doesn't really matter if it's just a, a hope for thing. No. It's the real question. Is it guaranteed? Is it secured for us? Paul or Peter answers that question for us. He said, well, what difference does it make to me? Well, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference to your joy in life. If you are, are earning your salvation, if this salvation is not secure, then you, you, your joy is diminished and you're, uh, you're not confident. There's no confidence in Well, I might make it. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I can do this. I hope I can do that. But the reality is is that it is secure. Our salvation is secure. You can call it the security of the believer. You can call it once saved, always saved. You can call it, and what we, in a more accurately biblical term, is the perseverance of the saints. And we hold to that here at Daniel's Bible Church. And there's a lot of churches in this area that do not hold to uh, eternal security. But we do. And we believe we stand on the shoulders of very faithful men who have studied Scripture, studied these things out. In 1640s, in Westminster, England, about 120 pastors and, and laymen got together. And for five years... They studied Scripture. And at the end of that time, they produced what we have today as the Westminster Confession of Faith. Our children are learning that on, uh, on Wednesday nights, this, uh, this shorter catechism for children. But it's based upon the Westminster Confession of Faith. They spent a lot of time and energy thinking through these issues, this doctrinal statement, if you will, and they put it down on paper for us for guidance, really, through the rest of generation after generation after generation. Now, here's what they say about eternal security. They say this, They whom God hath accepted in His beloved, that is, in Christ, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end. 
and be eternally saved. God keeps them. There's two elements. God keeps them through a persevering faith. He keeps them and they, as evidence of that keeping, persevere. Persevere to the end. And Peter addresses that right here. It may sound like a paradox. Because we we just think in our mind, we just get saved and God keeps us and that's it. We don't have to think about it. But there's an element of persevering. That we as Christians persevere. Persevere. So let's look at this passage. Look at verse 1. Let me just point this out. Peter is talking here to a group of people that are scattered. He, he says in Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, are, who reside as aliens. Now, even in the places they live, they were somewhat isolated because they were looked at as aliens, as different. And they're scattered. They're scattered because of persecution. Those through, uh, throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Now, that's a key. That's a key word, isn't it? They're chosen. This is a, a group of towns in Asia Minor. We would call it Turkey today. And Peter wants to address them. And he wants them to understand how important what they do in this persecution is. He wants to prepare them for persecution. And he addresses, he addresses a number of things here of godly living. But he addresses the underlying theme of this passage, of this whole book, First Peter, is persecution. Now let me point some things out to you. Look at chapter 2 and verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That's the unbeliever. So that in the thing in which they slander you, so they're being slandered in their town. They may not be hired because maybe they're Christian or they're, they're being slandered because they hold to Christ. He says, so the thing that they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So they're being persecuted just in, in small ways, and they're anticipating greater persecution. Greater persecution. They're being slandered right now. And, and he says, now keep your behavior excellent. That's a good thing to know, isn't it? If we're going to be persecuted, it needs to be a persecution because of Christ, not because we're being goofy, being poor in righteousness. Let me show you another one. Chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was Deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but keep, kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. He says two things in there about persecution. Christ is our example in persecution. We have been called to follow Christ's example. And how did he do that? Christ kept entrusting himself to God, to the one who judges rightly. And those are good things to know. Listen, I believe, folks, that we are going to face persecution. It's going to come. It's a matter of time. By the way, he goes on to say, and he himself bore our sins. Now, let's just stop right there. And he kept entrusting himself to 
Him who judges righteously. That's God. We just stand. We know that persecution is a result of what God is doing. He may have a larger picture, but we just stand. Stand firm. Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. Chapter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxieties on Him. Do you think they would be anxious because of persecution? Absolutely. They know it's coming. It's just a matter of time. And the persecution of their day, folks, it was death. It was death. They would be anxious. So Paul, Peter says, cast all your anxieties on Him, for He cares for you. Be sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brother who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace will call you, or who called you, he will, uh, called you to himself, Eternally glory in Christ. He will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Listen, in persecution, we just depend upon the Lord. We just stand firm in our faith. When we go through this, it strengthens our faith. And and He'll confirm us. He will strengthen us. He'll perfect us. He'll establish us. That's a wonderful picture. You say, well, why does Peter then start with salvation? Why does First Peter, talking about persecution, why does he start off talking about our salvation? Well, it should be obvious here. It should be obvious. I mean, when you're facing persecution, what's the, what's the question you ask yourself? As a Christian, how will I hold up? How will I do? Will I cave? Will I be able to stand firm? I mean, they they remember the testimony of Stephen. Stephen, you know the story of Stephen. He he was being stoned and he looks up and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Now that's a great response. And he was stoned to death. And some of them may even have been there and saw this. But they certainly knew the story. And so they're thinking to themselves, would I be able to do that? Would I be able to, to stand firm even while they're throwing rocks at me? So why does he start with uh, this salvation? Because listen, and the security of our salvation is, is the point. Why does he start with this salvation, the security of our salvation? It's because when you are facing persecution, what do you want to know? What do you want to know? Is my salvation secure? Is it reliable? So that's what I want us to see today. For the next actually next couple of weeks, we want to just deal with this passage. Here's what I want us to see. The believer's salvation is absolutely secure through the preservation of God and His gift of an enduring faith or persevering faith which brings great confidence and profound joy to the believer's life. That's what I want you to see. The question we'll be looking at 
is how can we have confidence that our salvation is secure? What gives us that confidence? How do we know? How do we know? There's four elements here in this passage from verses 3 down to verse 9. Now, we're only going to look at two of them today. And we'll, we'll move through these quickly. Four elements about our salvation and the security of our salvation. Number one, God has, pres- God has uh, preserved the believer's salvation in heaven. Now, that's God's act. That's something that He does. He has preserved it in heaven. Look at verse 3. Let's start from the beginning at verse, verse 3 of this passage. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, we looked at this last week, remember? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. It's a wonderful thought. He's caused, he caused us to be born again to a living a hope. A hope that will not die. And He's done that. That's an act of His will. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, verse 4. To obtain an inheritance. To obtain an inheritance. Now, the word obtain there is not there in the Greek. It's actually to an inheritance. You are born... You are born again. God has caused us to be born again to an inheritance. To an inheritance. It's not just someday to obtain an inheritance. It's, it's to an inheritance. You understand the difference. When, uh, when the king of England, queen of England, when they have kids, the first thing they, they say, what does he get? He, he, is, he is an heir to what? That's us. We are born as an heir. We have an inheritance. Not that someday we'll obtain an inheritance. No, this is, we are born for this inheritance. We are born again. And we have an inheritance waiting for us. Born uh, to obtain an inheritance. Now he qualifies that. Or he doesn't qualify it. He, he, he helps us to understand how secure that inheritance is. How secure is it? Well, he uses five different words here. Five different ideas. First of all, it's, it's imperishable. It's imperishable. It's, it's not corruptible. It's, it's not liable to death or destruction. It, is, uh, it can't be destroyed. It is immortal, if you will. It's immortal. It's not something that's liable to break down. And, it, and it, that means that it's going to last forever. Now, here's the picture. When we get up to heaven, we, God's not gonna, we're not going to get there and God says, Ah, oh, you know what? I had this inheritance. It, it broke down. It, it didn't last. It, it perished. He said, that's not going to happen. This is in an, in an imperishable heritage. When we get to heaven, it's going to be there. It will be there for us. Number two, he says, it's undefiled. And undefiled. Now we get stains in our clothes. And those stains cause our clothes to wear out unless we wash our clothes, right? This is unstained or free from stain or blemishes. Nothing in it 
would cause... Uh, uh, there's nothing within our inheritance that would cause it to decay. It's pure. You might use that word. It's, it's free. It doesn't have any pollution of sin. No flaws in it. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry that, uh, you know, man, I, I've got... You know, and I'll live this 75 years, 100 years on this earth. My inheritance, it's, it's being wasted away. It's, it's, it's decaying. We don't have to worry about that. And if that was not enough, he says, and will not fade away. It will not fade away. This means it doesn't grow old. It will never lose its quality. It will never lose its beauty. It will not fade. It will never lose its glory. Now, can you imagine getting to heaven and saying, eh, you know, I had this great inheritance for you, but it's not quite as good anymore because it just, it just faded away. You know, you were supposed to live eternally up here, but you only get a thousand years. No, it's nothing like that. It does not fade. It does not, it does not uh, decrease in value. There's nothing that's, that's going to lose its quality about it. And then he says this, will not fade away, and it's reserved. That's another word. Reserved in heaven for you. This is directed to who? For those who are chosen of God. Those who have been born again. And it's reserved in heaven for you. Reserved. The word reserved there. This means kept. means protected. It means somebody's watching over it. Watching over it. You know, if you're going to preserve something, if you're going to keep something, where's the best place to keep it? In heaven. Where moth and rust does not corrupt. Where thieves cannot break in and steal. God's not going to get up there and say, you know, I have that, I had that uh, inheritance for you, but man, somebody come and stole it. That's not going to happen. It's reserved. It's being kept, watched over, guarded for you. And he says this, in heaven for you who are protected. We are the protected ones. Isn't that a wonderful thought? We are the protected ones. I like the, the NIV says shielded. We're behind God's shield. We're the protected ones. We're secured. And keep means to keep watch over. Keep, keep under watch. The emphasis here is, is on the security of our inheritance. That includes our salvation, obviously. Right? And he could have used one word. But he uses five words to emphasize the security that we have in our salvation. And this is, the, this is consistent with the rest of Scripture. Look over at Romans chapter 8. Now this is the passage that was read to us earlier. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 30. To those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He he will He also glorified. It's one package. If He chose you, He's certainly going to bring you to glory. There's security with that, isn't there? He's not going to get halfway through. Well, I called Him and He says no. or, Or I couldn't justify Him enough. In fact, He leads to this, verse 31. What then shall we say? 
of these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? If He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us, for us all, everyone who believes, how will He not also freely give us all things? I mean, He's going to make sure this happens. If He's going to give His Son over for us to do this, He's certainly going to make sure it happens. Look at verse 35. Who will separate us then from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? No. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness? No. Nothing will. Verse 38, I am then convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels or anything else can separate us from the love of God. We are secure. We are secure. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. You need to get this concept in your mind that our eternal, our salvation is secure. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says this, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. So you heard this gospel and you believed in this gospel. You put your faith and trust in this message. Having also believed, you were sealed. You were sealed. Now, you know what that means. When you, uh, when you seal a letter or they, they sealed the tomb, it's it sealed. You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit. So God takes the Holy Spirit and He gives you the Holy Spirit, puts it on your, puts Him in your life. So you're sealed. He doesn't give it to you and then, uh, no, He's not good enough, so I'm going to take it back. You are sealed. This is a permanent thing. How permanent? Who is given as a pledge. So this Holy Spirit is given, He has given to you put into your life as a pledge, listen, of our inheritance. He's going to make sure that you get your inheritance and you have that pledge with a view to the redemption. He's talking about our salvation. Redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. God gets all the glory for that. Now, those are wonderful thoughts. Our salvation is is not something that's ambiguously taught in Scripture. I mean, the security of our salvation. No, it's clear in Scripture. And people so often think that, ah, you know, it's just a matter of opinion. It's not. It is taught in Scripture. Let me give you another verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says this. Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body... Be preserved, complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I I pray that this happens. And he says this, verse 24. Faithful who who calls you and who also will bring it to pass. He is faithful. He didn't just call you to, to kind of leave you stranded. He is capable. He has all the power. He has all the wisdom to make sure it happens. And He's faithful. And He will bring it to pass. He will complete our salvation. Now, folks, how do you apply this? This is, a, this is a theology that needs to sink deep into our thoughts. 
It needs to be filed away in our minds and we base our whole life on that, that we are secure. We are secure. We live our lives with a, with a joy that cannot be robbed It's a deep-seated joy to our lives because we know that no matter what the circumstances of our life turned out, no matter what happens in our life, our salvation is secure. He called me and He will bring it to pass. It's secure. He loved me. He bought me and He secured my salvation. And even in the face of persecution, I can know that and go into that persecution with confidence. Knowing that it's up to God. And and God will will make sure that it comes to pass. Folks, that, that needs to be settled into our minds. Our joy and our happiness do not depend on this superficial circumstances of our life. We sink our thoughts deep down into our theology. And that's where we get our joy. That's where we get the confidence in our life. Why? Because we know. We know. This is not something that's ambiguous. It's not something that's, well, I I hope I get to heaven. No, this is solid. This is secure. God preserves our salvation. Let me give you another one. Number two. Saints persevere because God gives them persevering faith. Now go back to our passage, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Start in verse middle, verse 4. Reserved in heaven for you. So we have this inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you. That's God's part. He has already established that. Now, this is also God's part. And it may seem a paradox to us, but listen. Who are protected, that's us. We are the protected ones who are protected by the power of God. Okay, we understand that. He's got this reserved in heaven for us, but He's also, we are protected by the power of God. That is right now, right here and right now. That's a constant, ongoing thing. And it's through what? Look at the passage. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. We are protected, we are secured through faith. Now that is rich, folks. That's amazing. We, this is no ordinary faith. God secures our salvation. And then he, he also gives us a faith that will protect us. And we're, we're ultimately brought to salvation, brought to glorification through this faith. Now you say, well, if it's, if God has already reserved this in heaven for us, then why do we need to persevere? Why do we need to stay in our faith? Because that's the characteristic of the kind of faith that He's given us. He's given us a faith that is is a persevering faith, that is an enduring faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, you know the passage, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourself, is a gift of God. This faith that we have is a gift from God. And it is no ordinary faith. It is a supernatural faith. In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews chapter 12, just a few pages over. 
The author of Hebrews says this, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author that's, that's the leader, the beginner and perfecter of our what? Faith. That, that faith is in His hands. He began it. He is the, the uh, author of that faith and He is the perfecter of that faith. He, he will continue to perfect that in us. And it's a faith, James says, it's a faith that works. It's a faith that does something, that shows evidence that it's genuine. It's a real faith. It's not a dead faith. It's not a, a human faith. It's a God-given faith. It's a supernatural faith, if you want to call it that. Now, we use faith all the time. We use faith on a daily basis. But it's human faith. I've been taking the fast three days. I've been taking medication. I hate taking medication. But, but that's an act of faith. That I'm, I'm opening this. I don't know what's in this little pill, but I take this little pill hoping that it will not kill me. But it's an act of faith, isn't it? I set my alarm clock. Now I have faith in that alarm clock. Last night I was, I set my alarm clock and I had faith in that and it woke me up to this morning, which I was thankful for. Now that's an act of faith. That's, that's, I'm depending on that alarm clock to get me up. I'm depending on that, that medication. But that's human faith. Because I've, I've taken medication before and it, yeah, yeah, I understand. That, that makes sense. All the, the science behind it, it makes sense. I can put my faith, that's an educated faith, isn't it? I've set my alarm clock because I've said it before and it's always, it's always been faithful. That's human faith. This is a supernatural faith, and I want you to see the difference. Look down at verse 8. Verse 8 here. He says, though you have not seen Him. Now listen, I see my alarm clock. I understand the mechanics of how alarm clocks work. I, I can understand somewhat the mechanics of chemistry and how, how medication works and the effect it's going to have on my body. So I understand those things. You know what? I've never seen God. I've never seen Christ. Uh, I don't know physically of these, this relationship that I have with Him. This is a spiritual thing. And though you have not seen Him, you what? You love Him. Now that's a, that's a crazy faith. That's a supernatural faith. You don't even know He exists. You've never seen Him and you love Him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, show Him to me. I can't show Him to you. But I just know He's there. I have this relationship. I have this, re, this loving relationship with Him. Even though, I, even though He says you have not seen Him and you love Him, and though you do not see Him now, you what? You believe in Him. Now, that's not superficial belief. That's constant, continuously putting your faith in Him. Sorry about that. I'll take a drink. Do you see the difference, though? It's, it's one thing to put faith in an alarm clock. It's one thing to put faith in, in, in mechanics or uh, medicine that you can understand. Yeah, that makes sense. And Yeah, if we do this, just in this physical properties, we understand that. But this is supernatural. This is a faith that we cannot even comprehend because 
It's in something we've never seen. And he says, this faith, he says, even though you do not see him, you believe in him. You're constantly putting your faith in him. You, You listen to his word. You obey his word. Even though you don't see him. You're crazy, the world would say. You're crazy. Now, this is the supernatural, enduring, persevering faith. And he says this. He says, you greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice with joy in express. We can't even understand it. We can't even uh, communicate this to the world. He brings a joy to our life, this relationship, to a person that I don't even see, that I just live by faith in. That's a supernatural faith. And it's an enduring faith. An enduring faith. Let me show you a few uh, passages here. John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 31 says this. He says, this is Jesus uh, saying to the Jews, to those Jews who believed in him, he says, "Um, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. There's a continuation there that has to be there. This is a faith that doesn't just happen when you're three years old or when you're six years old and you you raise your hand or you say a prayer or you walk an aisle. No, this is a faith that continues. If you continue in my word, it's an enduring faith. It says, then you're truly disciples of mine. Paul said the same thing. Colossians chapter 1. Let me show you this verse. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 says this. And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away, don't move away from that faith. From the hope of the gospel that you have heard. If you continue, there's a continuation of our faith. It's not just a one-time thing. This is a continuation. Now, folks, I had many friends when I was growing up that would, oh, they would raise a hand and they would, they would get saved. And man, the next day, they'd come to school and still had a filthy mouth. They would, they would still walk the way of the world and, it had no effect on their life. That's not the kind of faith. That's a superficial faith. That's not the kind of faith that we see in Scripture. The kind of faith that endures. Endures. We walk the way... If we walk away, it shows that we never had this kind of faith to begin with. That's what John says in John 2. 1 John 2, isn't it? Let me show you another passage, though. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We'll bring this to a conclusion in just a second. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Now he's making some comparisons here, the author of Hebrews is. And he says, he was faithful over his house. Listen, whose house we are. He's talking about the household of God. The house of Christ, the body of Christ. And He is faithful over that house. If, here's the condition, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our our hope firm until the end. 
There's a perseverance to our faith. Skip down to verse 14. Same passage. Same uh, chapter. Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We hold fast. And it's why? Because this persevering faith that God has given us and it, and it protects us. It protects us. Now that's... a. Uh, let me show you one other passage in 1 John 5, verse 4. Just a few pages over. 1 John 5, 4. Look at this. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, born again. You understand that? He, he caused you to be born again. And he says, you're going to overcome the world. Overcome. There's a persevering there. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, what is it? Your faith. This is the victory that's overcome the world. Your faith. This faith does not die. It just keeps going. You see, God can, God can strike me with plagues. He can take all of my children. He can destroy my home. And yet, I believe in Him. Just like Job. You say, yes. Yes, that's the kind of faith it is. And this is the faith that was predicted in the Old Testament. Israel just blew it so often. But look at this, this, this prophet, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 40. You need to know this. Verse, uh, Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 40 says this. He says, I will, and this is the new covenant, by the way. I will make an in everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them. I will not turn away. It's going to be permanent. There's not going to be a condition on it. In the, in the Mosaic covenant, if you obey me, then I will bless you. This is an eternal covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. And at this point, it was futuristic. He says, I will not turn away from you. My covenant is to do them good. And I will put the fear of me in their heart, so that they will not turn away from me. I'm going to put something in their heart so that this, this fear, this fear, respect, reverence for me, they will not turn away. Folks, that's the kind of faith that we're talking about. It's a faith that no matter what happens, no matter what persecution we face, we, we won't turn away. It's an enduring faith. It's a living hope. And that's exactly what we see in, in Jude chapter 24. And I'll, I'll close with this. We'll look at some examples maybe next week. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand. He is able to do that. He is, he is able to keep you from stumbling, keep you from stumbling into that sin and to make you stand in the presence of His glory blameless. With great joy. God can do that. God can do that. And He uses a faith. God's omnipotence. Uh, His protecting power. And the believer's persevering faith always works hand in hand. It's never contradictory. It's always hand in hand. God protects and we persevere. We will not turn away from him. You say, well, what about Peter? 
Peter turned away, right? And we'll, we just have to look at this. One example. Luke chapter 22. Just, just bear with me quickly. Luke chapter 22. Let me read this. Peter. Here's Peter. Now the context is, is these scoundrels, these disciples, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Peter, of course, I'm sure is boasting. And he's, But P, Jesus says to him this. He says, Simon, Simon. And whenever Peter is acting like his old self, Jesus calls him by his old name. Behold, Satan has demanded a permission to sift you. Now, Satan has to ask God for permission. He has asked permission. He demands to sift you like wheat. Let me at him. I'll show him how weak he is. And he says this. Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, but I have prayed for you, Peter. I prayed for you. I'm going to let Satan have his way, but I'm, I pray for you. For what? That your faith may not fail. That your faith may not fail you. And when once you have turned again, it's, it's, you've turned back, turned again, straight. Uh, strengthen your brother. <clears throat> Peter, of course, rises up. He says, Lord, with you I am ready both to go to prison and to death. Peter thought he was a lot more confident. Or, see, Peter thought he was a lot stronger than he really was, didn't he? He said, I'm ready to go to death. I'm ready to go to prison for you. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow until uh, today until you have denied me three times. Listen, I'm going to let Satan have his way with you, Peter. You're going to fail. You're going to fail miserably. But you've got this faith. I'm praying for you that your faith, faith would not fail. That's perfect. That's perfect, isn't it? God's sovereignty Man's, man's responsibility, your faith will not fail in Christ. He intercedes for us as well, doesn't He? That our faith will not fail. He gives us this faith that just continues on. How do you apply this to your life? We have a happiness, we have a joy in our life that's deeper than our circumstances, isn't it? It's deeper than our circumstances. No matter what happens, if you are called, if you are, have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know your inheritance is secure. Your future is secure. And folks, that brings me great joy. That brings me great confidence that I can face anything. And the Lord will... You'll pray for me that my faith does not fail. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You so much. You're so kind to us knowing that, that we are weak. That we cannot hold up. If, it, if our salvation depended upon our own selves, we just would not, we would not fare well. And so Lord, You, you protect us. You, you keep us. And then you give us this faith that will not die. This faith that endures. This faith that, that loves you even though we do not see you. Oh Lord, I pray that you would intercede for us constantly. Christ Jesus, that you would not put any more on us than what we can handle. And that you would 
pray for us, intercede for us, so that we not ultimately fall away from your grace. That we will not, that we would not turn away so as to do it permanently. We know we're going to fail. We know we're not perfect yet. But yet we just keep going. We just keep going, no matter the circumstances of our life. And Lord, we thank you for giving us this kind of salvation. So great of salvation. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand together. I appreciate your patience with my voice. You're so kind. But I want you to hear the word. It's the word of God that changes our lives. And we're going to finish this next week. Finish this up and we'll bring it to a conclusion. It's a conclusion I think you'll want to hear. Um, if we can help you, we'd love to be able to do that. I'd be in my office throughout the week. You can call or stop by any time. I'm not going to shake hands today, so I won't be in the back, just in case. I think I'm over it, but... <clears throat> but if we can help you in any way, we have elders, uh, deacons that would be able to help you. We'd love to be able to do that. Uh, you can talk to me when I'm well. When I when my faith on this in this... Uh, Medication turns out to be correct. Listen, we serve a great God, don't we? we? Serve a great God. Our salvation is in His hands. He is a wonderful Savior. Father, we thank You for Your grace. I do pray, Lord, that You would help us to examine ourselves to make sure, make sure of these things in our own life. Do we have a faith that endures? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.